Good morning, Fullerton. Here are your headlines for the week of July 11th. Number 1. Break-in at Zombie Donuts A break-in occurred at Zombie Donuts and Bake Shop on Chapman Avenue on June 27th between the hours of 4 to 5.30 a.m. No employees or customers were injured. The cash register and safe were stolen and damage was done to the entrance door. The back doors, which are accessible through the parking lot, were used for the burglary. The glass door was shattered to get in, but no other damage was done to the store. The Fulton Police Department was notified by the owners around the store opening time after the break-in was discovered by an employee. The Fulton Police Department is currently investigating. If you have any leads, you can contact them at 714-738-6800. Number 2. Community Celebrates Pacific Drive Park Renovations Neighbors and community leaders gathered at Pacific Drive Park on June 28 for a grand reopening of this newly renovated park. This event was a culmination of years of advocacy and planning from community leaders. Community leader Eglit Nanki said, and I quote, It's been nine years of our families advocating, going to commission meetings, school district meetings, going to city council meetings, and staying late with our children. This is a big win for our community. When my daughter was three years old, we came to this park and it was an ugly, sad park and she did not enjoy it. But our legacy is to give all the future generations a beautiful and well-deserved, safe and clean park. This is a park that all of our children deserve." End quote. The park renovations were designed with input from those who live in the neighborhood and funded by the city with additional help from the Federal Community Development Block Grant Fund and a grant from the St. Jude Medical Center. The improvements include new playground equipment, concrete walkways, new exercise equipment, a new basketball court, new benches, and picnic tables. Present at the opening were city council members, Parks and Rec staff, the fire chief, police chief, a representative from State Assembly member Sharon Quirk Silva, and many families from the neighborhood. Mayor Fred Jung spoke about the blight and neglect the park had fallen into prior to renovations, and that it was, quote, in desperate need of a makeover, end quote. Number three, protests for reproductive rights continue in Fullerton. Following the Supreme Court's decision on June 24 to overturn Roe v. Wade, hundreds gathered in downtown Fulton to join a nationwide protest. These rallies and protests continued on Friday, July 1st. Protesters gathered at the intersection of Harbor Boulevard and Commonwealth and marched through downtown Fullerton. The protest was organized by the Orange County chapter of Rise Up for Abortion Rights. The organization has demanded that the federal government reinstate nationwide legal abortion now. Some performed street theater in the form of a dying representing those who could die from unsafe abortions. Another pro-abortion and pro-choice protest is planned for July 16 at 2 p.m. at Fulton City Hall, organized by Melanated Youth, a BIPOC youth-led coalition dedicated to mobilizing youth voices to fight against systematic oppression against marginalized identities. Number 4. Fulton Celebrates Independence Day Despite the cancellation of the City 4th of July fireworks show, Fulton residents still celebrated our nation's birthday with a number of neighborhood events, including the downtown Fulton 4th of July bike parade. To see photos of the bike parade, visit www.fultonobserver.com. That is it for this week's headlines. The journalists behind these stories are Arush Navid, Jesse Latour, and Gaston Castellanos. Next up, we have an interview with Ruthie Hanchett. Ruthie is a PDA leader and a mom, with two kids in the Fulton School District, and she has also been a global leader and advocate in the field of children's and women's rights, human trafficking, and gender equality for over 20 years. She spent a decade with World Vision International as a policy expert and advocate, working with the UN, World Bank, and global leaders for children's education, protection, and human rights. 
For the last 10 years, she has focused her work locally, teaching as an adjunct professor on human trafficking, training parents and community members regularly on how to keep children safe from abuse, starting the Fulton Human Trafficking Partnership, and coaching a youth-led organization called Lift to Free that mobilizes college students and high schoolers to fight human trafficking. Ruthie is running for the Fulton School District Board of Trustees, Area 4, and is with us today to discuss some of her work. All right, so today at the Fulton Observer podcast, we have an interview with Ruthie Hanshed. Ruthie is a PDA leader and a mom with two kids in the Fulton School District, and she has been a global leader and advocate in the field of children's and women's rights, human trafficking, and gender equality for over 20 years. We'll get more into some of the other work that you have been doing, but first of all, thank you so much, Ruthie, for being here today. You're welcome. Um, and I really appreciate you giving us your time because I know you're very busy as an adjunct professor and a mom and doing all this work that you're doing in the community and now you're also running for the Fulton School um, District Board of Trustees, mm-hmm. Area 4, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. In so November is when the election will be. It's mm-hmm. exciting. So good luck for that. Thank but you. I really want to talk about some of your work today, and maybe we'll yeah. get to the elections later in sure. the interview if we have time. So first, let's get stru- started with human trafficking in Orange mm-hmm. County specifically. Like, mm-hmm. What does it look like? And then in more... Um, you know, just honing it down to the Fulton area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard to get exact numbers when we talk Mm -hmm. about human trafficking or modern day slavery is another way that we refer to this because Mm -hmm. people don't come out in the open with what they're doing, right? It's a hidden crime and it oftentimes can be happening right under our noses and we won't notice it or understand it. Um, So when we step back and then try to zoom in on what it looks like here in Fullerton, I think Mm -hmm. it helps to think about there are 40 million people in the world today engaged Mm -hmm. in modern day slavery. When we think about the United States, um, we have to go off the data we know from those who are receiving help, right? We don't know all that are engaged in exploitation and abuse, but we know that right now, I mean, the last hotline numbers that we had were about 10,000 cases in the last year that have been um, reported and helped through our orange or through human trafficking hotline in the United States. Um, and then when we look at Orange County, in the last couple of years, we've helped about 450 victims of human trafficking here in Orange mm-hmm. County. And again, the the number of people that are being exploited and abused is much bigger. Those are just the funds that we're finding and able to support with services. So then when we think about Fullerton, you know, we know the same conditions that make people vulnerable around the country, around the county, are here in Fullerton. And those are things like poverty, inequality, um, children that have been sexually abused, those who are involved in the child care welfare system, Mm -hmm. um, new immigrants without a lot of security. So people like that are very vulnerable and those are, that's our community. So we know that it's happening and we've even seen specific cases of that happening in Fullerton. Mm -hmm. Because this is something that when we think about human trafficking we think it's kind of far from us yeah. it's an international problem yeah people don't realize that yeah. those are the high numbers happening in Fullerton those Absolutely. are what's been reported mm-hmm. but then what about that's not being reported at all yeah you know? yeah and in even in Orange County the majority of the people that are being found and helped are right. US residents citizens mm-hmm. people who are born and raised here so yeah. yes we have people who are brought into the United States sometimes specifically for the purpose of being exploited in mm-hmm. trafficking sometimes people who are new immigrants and that vulnerability of their immigration status is used against them as a way of controlling and abusing them. Um, But it absolutely happens to everyone in our community. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I say everyone, people who are vulnerable in our community, Um, and even including our children here. And that's pretty tragic. Yeah. So, so how do you recognize a victim of human trafficking? You know, what are the most common signs? And what should we do once we suspect that someone is being trafficked? Yeah, uh, great questions. Uh, there's no one way to know, right? Mm-hmm. I wish there was. I wish there was a checkbox and we could tick it and know. Um, so we have to pay attention to people. And especially looking at vulnerabilities can kind of help us 
us focus in on who is most likely to be exploited and abused. Um, so we can look at kind of two things. Usually we talk about human trafficking in two ways. There's sex, sexual exploitation, what, that's sex trafficking. It's also the commercial sexual exploitation of children, which is a more descript way of talking about the abuse that children suffer in exploitation. Right. Um, but we also have labor trafficking, mm -hmm. right? And so those aren't always really clear, distinct groups. Sometimes someone is exploited in both ways. For instance, domestic servitude is a really common way that people in the United States are exploited in labor trafficking. Oftentimes it looks like women and girls that may be working in a home as a maid, a nanny, um, it could even be a, a male person working in a home as a nurse's aide, like a, a nursing home situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they may also be sexually abused and exploited right. even in commercial sex. So sometimes those categories aren't so like clear cut right. and people can be, once a person is literally owned by another person, they can right. be exploited and abused in many ways, right? But um, if we think about those kind of two general categories, we can think about who's vulnerable and how are they used to kind of help us understand what might be those identifiers or those mm -hmm. red flags. So when we think about labor trafficking, it's oftentimes people who may not be able to leave the places where they're working. Um, they, for instance, might live and work in the same place. One of the very first cases in Southern California was a case in El Monte where people were being trafficked into the United States, mm -hmm. held in an apartment, working in sweatshops, and never allowed to leave. And the, some of the signs, physical signs, was there, right. were, there was fencing around the apartment building mm -hmm. and razor wire to keep people in, not out. And so, you know, and no one came in and out of that building other than maybe a few people to move products in and out. But the people right. lived and worked and stayed at that property. Um, right. In the same way, if you if you notice, you know, people in the back of a restaurant that never come to the front and aren't engaging with the public. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be a lot of reasons, but sometimes it's paying attention to those signs of someone who may not be able to speak for themselves, who's someone right. who is um, continually kind of watched and monitored by someone else. Mm -hmm. That's really important when we think about people seeking help. Mm -hmm. um, when doctors are able to talk to sit perhaps a victim because maybe they've come in because they've got an injury from working in a, in a restaurant and they burn themselves or um, they've been beaten because traffickers abusers oftentimes use physical violence to control their victims so right. if they present themselves at the emergency room but someone else is right there and won't leave them alone maybe they pretend to be their interpreter or their their family member but it's really important for us to get them alone to have that opportunity to build trust and ask kind of what's going on why do you have these untreated injuries why mm -hmm. wh where did this you know strangulation marks come from things like that can be real big signs indicators mm -hmm. um, but when we talk about sexual exploitation it's really important when we think about, especially looking at our young people, um, some of the signs and the indicators could be, really, it's any child that's involved in commercial sex. Right. And that could look like dating for, for profit. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of times these dating apps and kind of sugar daddy, sugar baby relationships are growing as a trend right now. Right. So um, when there's that imbalance of power dynamics, that can be a, a way of exploitation and that can be a sign. But oftentimes we see teenagers that will sh you know, miss out on school on Friday and Monday because they're being sold by their traffickers for sex on the weekend. Mm -hmm. That girl might still be coming to school. But if we see signs like, you know, she's dressed differently, inappropriately for the weather or the situation, if she's got branding, tattooing is really common, where a trafficker will literally put his name or a symbol or sign on a woman's body, usually a woman or a girl, to show mm -hmm. ownership, just right. like a branding of an animal. Um, those can be signs, you know, if a, set, a girl especially suddenly has her hair and nails done in a way that just is inconsistent with her normal behavior, oftentimes traffickers are literally marketing a product. Right. And so they'll dress it up 
dress her up. It's a real human being. Right. But they'll but that commercial element of it is where mm-hmm. we see that in play. Right. So that's a lot of different signs that yeah. you can look out for, but they're not necessarily the easiest things to they're see, not. right? Because we really have to be paying attention to people, mm-hmm. right? And there's no one sign, but it's really, I always tell people to trust their gut. If right. they know, huh, this person I knew is suddenly different. She's, or especially if it's someone like a child, suddenly withdrawn, uh, new friends groups, they have two cell phones, you know, secret communication. Those can all be indicators. But if you see someone on the street and you just get a feeling or you see someone in a place of business and it feels not mm-hmm. right, I think the most important thing, again, is trust your gut. Like, if you can, try to create a human connection with that person. Mm-hmm. But the important thing is we we don't want to step in as law enforcement, right? right? Yeah. That's not our job. What we can do is instead call the human trafficking hotline. So that Got number it. for all of all of the United States is 888-3737-888. That's our national human trafficking hotline. It's available 24-7 in multi, pretty much all the languages. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they can answer questions. They, you can report things anonymously, but they keep a record. So if they have had multiple tips, like let's say about a restaurant where it's just strange that people are working in the back and I, you know, mm-hmm. I heard some yelling and it, it, people just seemed uncomfortable. You could call. And then if it's the third t- time someone's called about this restaurant, maybe the, then, then they investigate. Or if right. it's a nail salon that all mm-hmm. the windows are closed and people aren't, you know, only see men going in and out of a nail salon. That's another red flag, right? right. So then if it's the third or fourth or fifth call, maybe that means they're investigating. And you're just adding to the evidence that will mm-hmm. be used in a court to prosecute that trafficker. But it's important that we oftentimes, we can inadvertently even mess up an investigation Mm. or a process that may be underway. So if we call, we want to remember as many details as possible. And I always say it's better to trust your gut and just make the phone call than to possibly miss the opportunity to truly save someone's life or make a difference in their freedom. So if you have any feelings, call the hotline. You can even call the local police um, and ask for a welfare check is another way to do it. But it can be anonymous and that's the best way to ensure that you are acting on any kind of suspicions that you have. Right, so there's things that we can do and there Absolutely. are resources that are available and I'm sure Jackson's yeah. going to put the number on the uh-huh. screen that you That'd just provided us. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, that is actually really helpful. I yeah, should great. say that there's also a text. You can also text mm-hmm. to, and it's be free is kind of the the... Numer- uh, letter version of the text, right? Yeah. Be free. And you can text, especially, that's really helpful. I think a lot of young people would prefer that. Um, right. If you're in a kind of an awkward situation where you feel like picking up the phone right now might put someone in danger or it's just not comfortable, you can text really, you know, anonymously and very secretively. So that's a great way to also be in connection. And right. they also have, even online on their website, you can connect that way too. Right. So there's a lot of different ways yeah. that people can connect yeah. depending on their situation. Yes. So, um, you mentioned earlier that we have to kind of pay attention, right? Yeah. But in this day and age yeah. of social media, yes. no one really does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I did want to ask, how does social media impact, you know, human trafficking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, in so many ways. Right. Um, you know, in, a, in the ways that it's shaped our world, it sh- it's shaped the issue of human trafficking. But the number one thing I would say is that the number one red light district of our time is the internet. Right. It is the place where victims are recruited. It is the place where people are bought and sold. Right. So um, in the sense that social media is a platform, is a way of communicating, mm-hmm. it has become a place where victims of trafficking are recruited and bought and sold for sex primarily. Um, but the internet is also a way that we co- are connected with a global economy. So when mm-hmm. we think about, I as a consumer here in Fullerton may inadvertently buy products 
picked by slaves, grown by slaves, harvested by slaves, mm -hmm. produced by slaves in countries around the world. Right. And so as a consumer, we can use that tool of the internet to do research and learn, but we could, but um, it's also what connects us to people and this global economy where we oftentimes are uh, priv privileged and, and benefiting from the exploitation of others without even knowing it. Right. So um, yeah, there's so many ways. But I think another really important connection that oftentimes people don't see is the way that the social media and the internet really gives access to v versions of commercial sexual exploitation. So we're seeing really huge trends in, like I said, online dating apps being a place of exploitation and mm -hmm. abuse, a place of recruitment. Um, sugar dating is very, I'm, I'm sure you've seen like on, yeah. on college campuses, it's growing as a trend. It's presented this 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 kind of mutual relationship where young, usually it's younger girls and, and boys, but yeah. have a relationship with someone who's older, more financially established, maybe takes them traveling, buys them handbags, or mm -hmm. pays for their lifestyle, pays off student debt. But unfortunately, right. it oftentimes represents a really unhealthy power dynamic mm -hmm. that can turn into exploitation. And we're even seeing traffickers recruit young people, mm -hmm. bring them into these relationships, and then flip around and turn and sell them as their traffickers on these same dating websites. Right. So it's really um, a dangerous trend that I think young people aren't always aware of. And it's becoming really normalized. You see like mm -hmm. TikTok videos and all these kind of like top 10 tips on how to be a sugar baby. And it's really normalized in our commercial, like right. our culture mm -hmm. without talking about the harms and the risks that are involved with it. Exactly. And I would say the same thing for pornography because we know that oftentimes pornography is just uh, documentation of people's sexual exploitation. Right. Tra uh, trafficking victims will tell us that pornography was made of them while they were sex trafficking victims. Right. And it's even used as a tool to desensitize victims to say mm -hmm. like, hey, you're going to do this and instruct them what to do when they're then sold in prostitution. Right. And we see that it drives the demand for sex trafficking as well because people that consume pornography oftentimes mm -hmm. will not want to act out what they see with maybe a, a someone they're in relationship with so instead we'll choose to purchase sex which then drives that demand for more victims right. to fill in the dis the demand for sex trafficking victims right. so there's all kinds of ways that wow. social media is you know just fueling this mm -hmm. demand for sex trafficking uh facilitating labor exploitation of others mm -hmm. and um yeah it's, it's it's a huge problem right <laughs> which is why you know one of the reasons i'm running for school board is i really think that we need to equip young people to understand these risks right. to growing up in a digital age you know to know yes these are powerful tools we can use them for good but we also need to know the risks and the vulnerabilities and navigate those you know and put up barriers not just because it's you know, we don't go there, but really understanding what it, why it's harmful, both right. whether it's for ourselves or for the others, the victims that are on the other side of the screen. Got it. And, and you know, now that you've mentioned that, it yeah. brings to mind that on Instagram and Twitter, I've personally gotten a lot of different DMs yes. from older ladies and older men yes. saying, you know, would you like to be my sugar baby? I'll pay you 500 a week. I'll pay you a thousand a week. Yeah. Um, and obviously I just block him, but it's a large amount. It's not yeah. just one or two every once yeah. in a while. I get a lot of those and so mm -hmm. do all of my friends and we mm -hmm. just tend to ignore it. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure some people yeah. reply. What if you were in a vulnerable place and needed that money for rent? Exactly. Or your family needed it for rent. Mm -hmm. You know, and you think, oh, I can just get away with a date and, you know, I don't have to do anything. But it's exactly. that pressure. And I mean, 
forget about if there's violence or, or you mm-hmm. know, abuse involved, but even just that economic pressure that right. really leads to an exploitive relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let yeah. me just fix your mic real quick. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I tend to talk with my hands, so I might be knocking it over. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think it's the table being leaned as well. It's not helping either. But, yeah, wow, social media. It's, yeah. It's, uh, another yeah. major piece. I love that you said that because I work with college students, right? right? And then we actually go out to high schools and we talk to a lot of high schoolers mm-hmm. to create awareness of human trafficking because I just believe in this so much. Right. And um, that we need to empower young people to understand these issues. Mm-hmm. And every single one, when we say, like, who's gotten those DMs, you know, whether it's to be a sugar baby or send mm-hmm. nudes is the other big thing, right? Yeah. To sell what, what's technically called self-generated um, child abuse images right Right. but it's the nude selfies you know Mm -hmm. people are asking for those constantly and every single teenager's received them i think adults parents like my age don't know that right and um and so we have to like give guidance on how to handle those situations and why it's harmful and why it's not going to be a safe option just for a quick way to make money but i was going to say also i love that social media can be a really positive tool for bringing awareness right Mm -hmm. so my college students we put out information on social media i have students come to vanguard where i teach now who say oh yeah i learned about trafficking online you know and so i'm really grateful that they're learning it's just that oftentimes we have to also counter myths because there's a lot of misinformation about trafficking and the way it mm-hmm. happens and who it happens to that we also need to address right so social media is a double sword it could yeah. be a force of good and it's a force of absolutely evil. it's so, a tool it depends on how we use it right yeah so um one thing that that brings to mind is what kind of social media accounts do you help run like what should people be following that should show up on their feeds and give them more inform like accurate reliable yeah. information okay like that's this? good um uh-huh. the national human trafficking hotline which is mm-hmm. run by polaris project is a great place for really accurate data based on the United States, based on the the calls that they're getting, the victims that they're finding. Mm -hmm. So that's a great one to follow and to learn about. Um, I work with the Global Center for Women and Justice out of Mm -hmm. Vanguard University, and a lot of what we do is around trafficking prevention and awareness and training. Um, And then Live to Free is the student club that I I mentor and lead there. So those are some local groups to support, and especially from an academic perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to share, I'm I'm running for school board, and so you can find me on Instagram, Ruthie Hanchett for school board, on Instagram and Facebook as just someone who wants to bring this message to our our Mm -hmm. local schools in Fullerton and especially start, I mean, you know, junior high is too late. We need to start really early to talking about not necessarily all these details, but really talking about autonomy and body safety and that kids own our control of their bodies so that they understand what's appropriate and what's not, what's safe and what's not, and how to Mm -hmm. have an ongoing trusted relationship with adults that they can turn to when they need help. Yeah, so you've already mentioned this a little bit, but as much evil is being done in Orange County, there mm-hmm. are also a lot of anti-trafficking organizations yeah. that you are a big part of. Yeah. Um, what are some of those organizations and groups that are actively working towards ending human trafficking? Yeah, so I mentioned a national with the Polaris uh-huh. Project. Um, I love in Orange County, some of the leaders, we have the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force, right. which is a collective group of multiple agencies, including law enforcement, government, those who work with social services for child welfare, um, but a lot of nonprofits and even faith-based groups that work with them. Some of the leaders of that include um, Waymakers, which mm-hmm. is based out, it's, well, it's throughout Orange County. Um, a lot of the uh, police departments throughout Orange mm-hmm. County, but also Salvation Ar- the Salvation Army is a, another major player that does a lot of support for victim services after victims are found here in Orange County. I've done some work with them as well as a right. consultant developing curricula for their staff around the globe because mm-hmm. they do work, they've been doing this kind of work for literally hundreds of years now. Um, 
But then when we look at Fullerton specifically, there's some, and I should mention Orange Thorpe is another one, or, and uh, Orangewood Children's Foundation, excuse me, in Santa Ana is another okay. one that does a lot of this grid work. But then in Fullerton, we have some great organizations. So Crittenton is one that I love that works mm-hmm. with youth especially, and those who are aging out kind of that transitional age who are also very vulnerable or who may have experienced commercial sexual exploitation. Mm-hmm. Um, WTLC, Women's Transitional Living Center, also serves survivors of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And those issues of domestic violence and um, and human trafficking are very much interrelated. And oftentimes victims will experience both because human trafficking often looks like a romantic relationship, right? An mm-hmm. intimate partner relationship that then is also a form of exploitation and in that sort of abuse. So, so they do some great work supporting both survivors and their families and serving the community, creating more awareness in that work. Um, the Salvation Army also has a home here in Orange County that mm-hmm. is connected with survivors here in Fullerton. Um, what else? We've got great organizations that do what I would call more kind of like intersectional and supportive work. So right. OC United, I know you interviewed mm-hmm. Jade recently, yep. you know, and they work with youth, with homelessness issues, with women who have experienced intimate partner violence. Um, those are all issues that intersect and make people more vulnerable to exploitation mm-hmm. and human trafficking um, in new immigrant communities. So. Um, Camino Immigration Services is another organization here in Fullerton that serves immigrants, asylum seekers, mm-hmm. and helping them with their legal s- adjustment. So that, as again, it can be a way to keep people safe and uh, prevented from being exploited and trafficked. Um, I know Healthy California State Univer- or California State University of Fullerton mm-hmm. has the uh, Center for Healthy Neighborhoods. They do mm-hmm. a lot of great work. I've spoken with their their groups a couple of times about just creating awareness with more parents and community groups about what human trafficking is and how to prevent it. Um, and I know like groups like the Fullerton Collaborative and mm-hmm. um, Fullerton Act are groups I've even shared with. And I think that they're again working in community to support those who are most vulnerable in our community, who are most at risk of trafficking, so that we're taking a preventative approach rather than uh, trying to solve the problem after the fact, right? Right. So I think those are some of the specific groups I wanted to make mm-hmm. sure. But again, you know, Pathways of Hope that addresses in food insecurity and homelessness. Mm-hmm. When Along with that would be Habitat for Humanity. Um, Solidarity works, again, with young youth who are maybe vulnerable. Hoya Scholars, again, giving kids an opportunity for an excellent education. You know, all of these groups, Boys and Girls Club, all mm-hmm. the groups that are working with those vulnerable populations are giving them um, protective you know those are that's how we ensure protection and that's how we ensure that these people are not exploited and abused right so we have groups that are working at one end of the issues trying to solve and Mm -hmm. save the victims but Mm -hmm. then we have groups that are attacking the root of the problem yeah yeah preventative preventative Mm -hmm. so that's great that we have all this work being Mm -hmm. done so Mm -hmm. locally you know in fullerton yeah um because I, i think when we think of these organizations we think of more of them being just donation based but I think mm-hmm. having Jay Williams here OC mm-hmm. United he kind of talked about how much volunteers that they yeah. need how many different projects they're involved in mm-hmm. across communities and how it can look like your one hour a week your yeah. two hours a week can make yeah. a real difference so absolutely and I think you know it isn't donation based in, well I mean donations are great yes, right? we need the money amazing. to keep going uh-huh. but but when we think about what especially keeps young people safe mm-hmm. and preventative oftentimes it's healthy connected relationships Mm -hmm. you know and so when people volunteer when they have staff who are trauma-informed and understand these issues and are investing in young people's lives I think that's what really makes the difference Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's not a quick fix that's not something you can just write a check for you know it's something that takes investment Mm -hmm. and for especially when it's 
vulnerable youth who maybe don't have that at home in a parent relationship, it takes other healthy adults investing in them. Right, so it takes your time, energy, commitment. Yeah. And those are some yeah. of the things that you can really donate along mm -hmm. with your money mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and try to get Absolutely. some Absolutely, and I know like Crittenden and WTLC, they, I mm -hmm. mean, especially Crittenden is always welcoming volunteers and, and some of the others like, like Solidarity and others that OC United that work with young people especially. Right, so this would be a great time to get involved in some of yeah. these things. So um, we've been in a pandemic for, mm -hmm. seems like an eternity. Um, I'm sure that made working for anti-trafficking a lot harder. You know, mm. how did that really affect human trafficking in this community and how did that affect your work trying to combat it? Yeah, well, every, you know, we all shifted in some ways, but I think when we think about, especially the early days of the pandemic, there were kind of three ways. One was that I think it, it immediately stopped and reduced services to the people who needed it. Right. We know like some of our shelters shut down because those are oftentimes rotating residents, you know, and they just couldn't, in the early days, we didn't know what was, you know, how it was right. spread, how to stay safe. And so some of those literally just stopped. Um, right. And then what we've seen over the last few years is the growth in just vulnerability. The factors that uh, made people vulnerable to human trafficking, like economic insecurity, food insecurity, mm -hmm. homelessness, those just increased, right, during the pandemic. And still, if we think about globally, are still growing. Mm -hmm. um, right now, we know there are more children in child labor mm -hmm. than there were before the pandemic. Even though for years and years, we've been getting better and better at reducing children in exploitation and abuse, mm -hmm. it has gone up since the pandemic because so many families are insecure. And so mm -hmm. child labor is a, a alternative. It's it's their coping mechanism, as, as well as like young girls being sold as brides, mm -hmm. you know, as a coping mechanism to deal with starvation in their families, right? Mm -hmm. So globally, we've seen the vulnerabilities and in the United States and here in Fullerton only increase. Mm -hmm. um, and a third is, unfortunately, we saw this technology shift, which, you know, we all went on Zoom, right? We did school mm -hmm. on Zoom, business meetings on Zoom, but the traffickers did too. So what we saw was just a shifting in the way that people were being exploited, right. um, being creative. You know, we actually saw traffickers setting up, like triangulating abusive situations where girl, children were maybe even being recruited. Because think about oh. every teenager's online in their rooms, especially during the kind of lockdown situation, right. everyone was turning to social media as an outlet, right? A way to stay right. connected. So traffickers took advantage of that. They said, I know you're lonely, I'm here for you. You know, built these trust kind of relationships mm -hmm. and then turned around and said if you do this for me you know you'll if you love me you'll do this and then they were pr literally profiting making money off of the sexual exploitation of someone that may never may have never even physically met mm -hmm. so we saw um, especially children being abused online you know with through webcams through live kind of situations by traffickers that weren't even physically with them and making money off maybe a third party paying for that so just it's unfortunately i don't know that that will even necessarily get better because now mm -hmm. that they found that avenue it's there you know so we need to work to increase awareness to go after them to investigate for our law enforcement to have the tools to do this but we also as parents as educators as young people mm -hmm. need to create more awareness of these issues so that we are protecting and keeping our kids safe right and, and i think you just mentioning the fact that people are being recruited online yeah. when they were trying to find an outlet yeah. for social connection that just made me so sad so i'm sorry yeah. if i zoned out for a second but I'm just thinking that the pandemic was hard as mm -hmm. is, it mm -hmm. is hard as is. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think we need this added layer of stress yeah. on it, but 
now that I'm thinking, all these young people who may have gotten affected are currently getting affected. Yeah. What what can their parents do? Mm. I mean, they, you can't control everything your child is no. doing on the internet. You may not have yeah. time for that. You're working. Yeah. What do you even do? <sighs> it's tough, right? It it's tough. And I th- I feel like, you know, I'm 42 this next month. No one taught me how to do this. I'm having to figure out as a parent, you know, because we didn't, this wasn't the challenge we had, right? Like it wasn't, didn't exist. This technology is new. So we're all figuring it out. So it's not to put blame on parents, Mm -hmm. but to say like, we need our best resources. We need to be brainstorming. We need Mm -hmm. to partner with young people Mm -hmm. so that they tell us and we, you know, we bring our wisdom, but they're the ones, you know, they're the ones that know what it's like to be on TikTok as a teenager, right? Right. So we have to understand that. That's one thing I love partnering with my my students is I say Mm -hmm. like, how would you say this to a teenager? You know, because they're not going to yeah. say, don't do it. They're going to say, <laughs> okay, here's how you stay safe. Or here's the risks. And let's be careful that we're not like running into those, you know? Um, so I think it takes a multiple kind of multi-layered approach. I think that one, our schools need to do better mm-hmm. about really enabling students to understand how to stay safe online. So that's one of the mm-hmm. reasons I'm running for school board is to really look at not, you know, there's things we can do on the IT side of right. barring and filtering and making sure kids aren't going to th- sites that aren't appropriate or not helpful for education, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then there's also, we need to equip young people to understand the risks and how to stay safe. And we also need to de- teach parents and we need to teach parents just to be in their kids' business, to pay right. attention, you know, to be, if they're on an app, you be on an app too, and you follow your kid and you make sure you're in that communication. Um, you know, and simple things like you just keeping, I mean, it's hard, but keeping phones out of kids' bedrooms late at night so that they're not on, you know, you're asleep and they're online talking with who knows who until two in the morning, right? Because. Right. Um, People need, kids need boundaries. And so I think, you know, but it's also about teaching them how to set their own boundaries. So they understand the risks and the reasons they're wanting to stay safe. So it's less about the no, 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 and more mm-hmm. just like, <laughs> it reminds me of a preschool book my kids read, right? You don't teach t- mm-hmm. teenagers like preschoolers, but you enable them, you work with them developmentally to help them know the risks and to stay safe. You think about like, if, if someone's really feeling okay. vulnerable, like that's, it's natural to want to reach out and find connection, mm-hmm. you know? And if somebody is pretending to be someone that cares about yeah. you, whether it be through, you yeah. know, a dating app or a social media app, yeah, then, you know, a lot of us have online friendships. Mm-hmm. I have online friends mm-hmm. that I have. Maybe I need them from elementary school, but I don't know how they grew mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. just people that I don't know. I've mm-hmm. only seen maybe one time in mm-hmm. my life, and mm-hmm. the pandemic kind of made that normalized because yes. it was just like, well, I'm not gonna see them. Might yeah. as well just talk to them. But. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just so much that goes into it, and I'm just now realizing yeah. all that. Well, yeah. I think that's where we even have to talk about educating young people about, like, what is a healthy, well, not just young people, everybody, right. what's a healthy relationship look like? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's someone who tries to isolate you, who tries to control you, who, mm-hmm. you know, gives you direction of what you can, can and cannot do. Like, that's not healthy. But, you know, sometimes it takes a while, obviously, for that to be revealed. But helping people know, like, if you see this, you you get out, you know, right. and you don't have loyal, you don't owe loyalty to anyone that's going to try to manipulate, manipulate and use and abuse you mm-hmm. that way, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think this conversation is an example of conversations that people could be having mm-hmm. after learning from these resources. Because mm-hmm. now that I think about it, you know, social media apps like Instagram, Facebook have options to restrict certain users, mm-hmm. so they don't know you, you've restricted them, but you have. Yeah. Or to block them, and yeah. that is a bit more obvious, but you yeah. could restrict people. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's the one thing that I 
usually do mm -hmm. to these DMs is I'll just restrict people yeah. that are making you feel uncomfortable. For sure. Yeah. yeah, we used to always say like, don't be friends with anyone online that you're not friends with in real life. That's a great but I tip think, too. But I think that's, like you said, it is harder during the pandemic mm -hmm. and especially as, you know, it's such a global society. So people do form communities and connections with people across the globe. I think the right. question would be then, at least I'd say don't meet up with that person online, right? Right. Um, but even if you think, well, my friend is a friend with them, so it's probably okay. Like your friend mm -hmm. might have accepted their friendship and not know them either. So that exactly. can't always be an indicator that someone's safe. Yeah, and I mean, there's all these online gaming communities that I'm not really part yes. of, but you're talking on the phone a lot. Yes. You know, you're connected through your headphones. You may yes. have never seen them, but there's that audio connection. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you can talk for hours and hours and hours to this mm -hmm. person. I have no idea who they are or yeah. what they're saying. And we've seen predators take advantage of that. And uh, even... Uh, yeah, pedophiles and groomers come after young children mm -hmm. and starting with the conversation of it's just about the game and then it's, oh, what school do you go to? Oh, what neighborhood are you in? Oh, we should meet up sometime. And then it turns into, you, you know, know, just this exploitation. Yeah, and this is a little random, but that's also how a lot of terrorist organizations will recruit young men mm. who are playing violent games. That's how wow. I first got yeah. to know about it. Yeah, I'm not so, surprised. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. So, you know, I want to kind of get apart from the tragic yeah. um, issue yeah. of it and, and get to the solutions <laughs> yeah. a little bit. So we've discussed how parents can protect young mm -hmm. children and teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. How can we get the youth engaged and involved mm -hmm. in the prevention of human trafficking for themselves and for the community? Yeah, um, I love this because mm -hmm. my career has been about engaging young people in issues mm -hmm. that affect them, right? right? And I think naturally, one, especially younger kids, like I have elementary school age kids, you know, they have this strong sense of what's fair and right, right? Like <laughs> right. they want justice, yeah. they want things to be fair for everybody. And so I think just like nurturing that innate, you know, desire for justice, for care, for mm -hmm. like, hey, that's not okay that someone is treated this way. And what, and nurturing like that they have a voice and they can stand up and mm -hmm. make a difference is really important. So for me as a parent, that's my philosophy is like, how do I just nurture and engage that in my kids? Whether right. it's something super small, you know, um, my kids have been talking about how there's no recycling at their school and they want to mm. add recycling cans, you know? So it's like, I want them to have the life experience of like, I can do something about this. I don't just have to say, oh, that's too bad, but make, make change, right? And see what that feels like when it does work. So when I work with my college students and we work with high schoolers, it's really about helping them understand the influence they have on their peers too, mm -hmm. and that their voice matters. So one of my favorite things is my college students will always do a like an advocacy day where we'll literally mm -hmm. call like our senators or Congress people and you know make the phone call about whether it's a bill that's up or an issue that we want to raise. Mm -hmm. I give them that experience of like, it really matters and your call it's not that hard it's not that scary and it matters mm -hmm. and I think they you know we've gone to marches and we've gone to events and we've volunteered with survivors and with organizations right. to give them those experiences that it really does matter and what I love is they are so creative like my college students we started a couple years ago a fair trade fashion show mm -hmm. at Vanguard University and it's October 20 this year Right. Everyone's invited. It's really fun. But awesome. one of the things we wanted to do was draw attention to the fact that fashion industry is one of the worst industries for exploitation. Sweatshops, right. you think about like child labor, exploitation, you know, so rather than com continuing to support that, we've talked about fair trade fashion and alternative fashions and 
recycling and upcycling clothing mm -hmm. and reusing it so that we're not continually feeding into that just exploitive process. Um, so, you know, there were like the first people I knew to do something like that. And mm -hmm. I love their creativity. It's like this big event now. It's so much fun. So I think that when young people realize that they can be creative in the way that they address these social problems, that it matters. Like so many of my students come to our club, our, our classes on human trafficking, because mm -hmm. they've experienced either themselves or someone they love has been a victim. Maybe, right. maybe they were you know, abused and to the point where they thought, okay, they, that could have been me. It was one step removed. Or maybe mm -hmm. it was a friend that was commercially sexually exploited. But they, it feels close. And right. so I think when they have that personal just like commitment, they just have a passion, you know? And so I want to give them avenues to see that it matters and they can make a difference. Right, yeah. So there's a lot that the youth can do to yes. get engaged and we yes. can get and really think, creative. And I think just teaching their peers, you know, my college students go out and teach high schoolers. We've taught junior hires, just creating that awareness so that they are engaged, mm -hmm. like they are more safe. They're telling their peers. We talk about like, you may not be at risk, but maybe your friend is. So you talk to her, mm -hmm. you know, so, right, right. so just creating that kind of um, way of looking out for one another, which then keeps them safe as well. Right. So let's recap. Yes. some of the steps that we have talked about because yeah. we talked about a lot of things yeah. so first we talked about once you see someone mm -hmm. and you really have to trust your gut and you mm -hmm. can make these calls to hotlines yes. um, then we talked about uh, how if you there's a lot of in local organizations mm -hmm. you can get involved with your time money energy commitment yes and then you can also get creative you know yeah. use the social media yes use the fashion shows use you know go into these other avenues and you can mm -hmm. try and spread more awareness about mm -hmm. this get the youth mm -hmm. involved so i think it's so fantastic that you're sharing all of these different mm -hmm. ways that we can get involved because there is really something that everyone can contribute absolutely right because we often think yeah. that you have to be some sort of an expert yeah in no. this but you don't No, i think you know do your the research and find those trusted organizations like mm -hmm. i mentioned some of the nonprofits that are trustworthy in the information mm -hmm. that we're sharing but then yeah whatever it is that is your passion your skills your life experiences mm -hmm. bring those to bear on this issue and we talked about those kind of intersectional issues you know if you love youth maybe it's volunteering with foster care kids involved with foster care if you mm -hmm. are more i mean even business side maybe it's supporting uh, like economic opportunities for single women who maybe are at risk or maybe it's um, making sure that all of if you have influence over a business like looking at what are your supply chains look look like what exactly. is the fair practices how are you paying people especially in developing nations like what does that look like at the mm -hmm. way that you're treating others and how does that you know what power do you have to make sure everyone is paid a, a living wage a fair wage right and I think now you can also kind of tell by there are other websites that will vet certain mm -hmm. you know outlets online mm -hmm. and any you can also kind of just judge by the way that if you look at, say, Shane's website, mm -hmm. they're about us. You're not mm -hmm. going to find out much mm -hmm. of where these clothes are coming yeah. from. Whereas if you look at a website like Everlane or something mm -hmm. a bit more sustainable, a bit more yeah. ethical, they'll have the 20-page story of where they're getting Absolutely. everything from. Yeah, and there's fair trade corporations and mm -hmm. there's um, apps that you can even use as a consumer. Right. Um, the Sweat and Toil app is put out by mm -hmm. a U.S. government agency that looks at where your products come from, especially like uh, mm -hmm. produce when you're shopping at the grocery store. Another one is Good on You is it one that assesses clothing to, mm -hmm. again, talk about ethical practices and whether they're fair trade or at least, you know, working towards uh, better practices for their labor. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways that we can Absolutely. learn and, and continually improve ourselves and mm -hmm. on our um avenues in life so I'm just so glad we're doing this episode so who else do you think we should be talking about on this podcast to learn more about this topic yeah I mean I think 
obviously this podcast is focused on local you right. know issues and mm-hmm. and leaders in the community so I think that there's a lot you could do to look at those organizations that are working on this issue here in Fullerton so mm-hmm. um, like I mentioned WTLC Markley the CEO there or others that work specifically focused in on human trafficking would be great mm-hmm. for the podcast um, Crittenton that works with uh, youth in and families here in the community they serve a lot of kids who are vulnerable or have experienced commercial sexual exploitation. Um, and my colleague, actually I have a colleague who works at Vanguard University, Kendra mm-hmm. Tenkersley Davis, is an adjunct professor with me and she works at Crittenton. So she'd mm-hmm. be a great interview. Um, thinking about Camino Immigration S- Services is another that serves um, asylum seekers and others who are seeking immigration status support. And they have worked with trafficking survivors. There's a, a visa specifically called the Trafficking Visa, visa Trafficking Victims mm-hmm. Visa, that's specifically to help uh, victims of trafficking that desire to stay here in the United States, especially as their case is prosecuted. Right. So um, Bethany Anderson, who leads that group, would be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think there are survivors here in Fullerton. Ori Freeman is a woman who is a survivor of human trafficking. She was attending Fullerton High School when she was being trafficked by her pimp on our streets. And so she is now an advocate against human trafficking, speaks on the issue in a lot of different venues, and she'd be amazing. She's an right. amazing person and a great would be a great interview as well. I, I graduated from Fulton High yeah. School, and it's just yeah the local connections. That's why we make Absolutely. this podcast focus on local yeah. um, people because the kind of connection yeah. you find you would never yeah. imagine. So I'm just thankful for this list and we'll definitely look more into it but um if you have a little bit more time i do want to get into your election run now yeah sure um so you're running for school board in Mm -hmm. fullerton district four what made you decide school board (laughs) well as you can see i'm very passionate about this topic Mm -hmm. right so for me uh, i have such a desire to support our kids and i think this topic specifically of child protection and um, engaging, especially how we engage online with our kids, with the tablets that we give them as a Fullerton school district, right. is really at the top of my list. And that was right. so that, you know, it's something I've wanted to um, be engaged with. And so serving on the board is certainly a way that I can have some mm-hmm. opportunity to make change in that way. And just the way that we approach this topic. And, you know, not to say that we aren't doing things well, I just think we can do better. I think we can do more yeah. to support our students, our teachers, and our families in yeah. this work. Um, And so that's a major reason. I I, previously to working just locally on human trafficking, you know, I worked at World Vision International where I focused on children's rights and well-being, including education at Mm -hmm. an international level. So I was an advocate for children. I would go to the UN and the World Bank and the US Congress and Mm -hmm. advocate why we need to focus on, you know, funding for children's education around the world. Mm -hmm. And so this just feels like a natural way for me to bring those same skills and experiences to our community and to really help our kids. And I'm a mom, you know, I have two kids in the district it's very personal and I love their their kids their their friends our community at Raymond Elementary where my kids go to school mm-hmm. and um, it yeah it's a way for me to continue to serve our community yeah and, and as you said we can always do better it's not that yeah. things aren't being done but we can always yeah. add to it and I think your experience doing this kind of stuff internationally with the UN World Bank US Congress all of that can really add to our yeah yeah um, community as well another element yeah. i mean you know we talked about the mental health issue right now Absolutely. right and yeah. the connection to the pandemic and social media and the connections there i think that right now we're in this really critical stage where you know mm-hmm. the u.s or the pediatric society has said that we are in a mental health crisis for our children and youth and yes our schools have responded in a lot of really positive ways but again at this moment i think we need to 
do even more. Mm-hmm. So it's things like you know equipping and supporting our teachers to really address social emotional learning in the classroom to take our kids out of that stress response right. so that they can actually learn. So they can do their work of like the reading, writing, yeah. and, and math, right? But they can't do that if they're in that trauma response, mm-hmm. if they're responding in stress. Um, so that's really important. But then we also have so many mental health needs that just can't be met in the classroom. So we, again, I think as a district need to be it, providing additional supports with mental health professionals at all of our schools. I know that we weren't able to meet those in the last year for the high demand that we had. So increasing our uh, support of professionals to meet those needs, which then again takes the burden off of the teachers to be addressing, you know, they, they're not therapists and they also have, so, there's so many discipline issues that we're experiencing in the classroom mm-hmm. right now that really need the professional support of mental health professionals. So it's wanting to support our teachers and our kids, especially in coming out of the pandemic and the trauma that that has we've seen and the, just the mental health crisis that had been growing but was really exacerbated. Right. So there is a lot that you already are planning for. So I'm yeah. excited for your run in November. I wish <laughs> yeah, you the best you. of luck for it. Thank you and very much. I hope I'll see you again at some sort of an event for that or yeah. you once you're elected. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Me too. All right. Thank you so much for being here today, Ruthie. Thank and you. it was an absolute joy to talk to you. And yeah. I learned so much personally about this Good. issue too. So I hope people will take a look at the links that we'll provide mm-hmm. in the show notes and descriptions mm-hmm. to get a bit more involved in Fullerton and all of these issues. And um, be a force of good in our community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We can all do something. So I appreciate this opportunity just to talk about these important issues. Thank mm-hmm. you. So thank you so much. Alrighty, that is the end of today's podcast. Fullertonians, thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Fulton Observer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to keep up with the latest Fullerton news. Full-length stories of all our headlines are available on the Fulton Observer website, or you can subscribe to the print edition that gets mailed to your home every two weeks. This podcast is curated entirely by college student interns. If you would like to support our college journey, please donate at the Fulton Observer's website. If you would like to sponsor this podcast, email ads at FultonObserver.com. That's ads at FultonObserver.com. If you have any ideas for who we should interview next, email contact at FultonObserver.com or DM us on social media. Special thanks to Ruthie Hanchett for her time. Jackson Henry did a fantastic job editing this podcast. Bianca Bravo manages communications. And I'm Arush Navid, your host. Lastly, I wanted to share a recent tweet from Amanda Gorman, a quote from her larger poem that she read at the president's inaugural address. It reads, being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's a past we step into and how we repair it.